The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Every year, every year, I have this man on my show because what he is doing is so very important. And you know what? I want everyone to know. I want the world to know. I want everyone to know what he is doing because, to me, he is the great liberator. He is an author, a spokesperson, but as I just said, he is helping provide emancipation for many people. He is the founder of Free the Slaves, he is Mr. Kevin Bells. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You're always much too flattering, you know, when you make that introduction. I, I appreciate it very much, but seriously, I, I work with a lot of other people, and we do it all together. Well, there you go. You're, you're also very humble. That's why I like you. <laughs> well, first of all, how is everything in England right now, Kevin? Well, I, I, I have to say it's, it's, uh, it's great for me to be living in England again. I missed it when I was back in the States. And uh, there are a lot of interesting things happening in the world of anti-slavery, and a lot of them are happening right here in England, not least that the government of Britain uh, and, and some parts of it have actually just done a very intensive analysis of every policy and law that they have on the books to actually – have something to do with slavery today. And it's, 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 it's a kind of root and branch that I've never seen before in any other country. Wow. Well, what is it they're doing, Kevin? Well, what's interesting is that they've actually put a team on examining every part of the government that might touch on a person who is a victim of human trafficking or slavery and looked at how they would pass through any of the government services and so forth. That's the good news. The bad news is, of course, that they discovered some pretty rocky places in the way they were providing for people who were caught up in slavery or trafficking. I think the big shocker for most people was that they discovered that there were children who were being trafficked into Great Britain, enslaved here, then rescued or found by law enforcement, placed into social services or a kind of foster care state support system, and then disappearing. And it was that part was that after children had been rescued, they would disappear from protected homes, apparently back into the hands of the traffickers. So they weren't quite grasping that these were not just children who needed care. These were children who needed special care from, from criminals who were going to try to exploit them. Wow. That's terrible. You mean they come back and then they get the child after? That's right. That seems to be what's happening. But, of course, the fact that it's now been uncovered means we can do much more to make sure that never happens again. Right, right. Well, what are you personally working on while you're in well, England? There are a couple of things. Uh, uh, I was involved in that exercise. I'm also involved in preparing a global slavery index. So, you know, if you're familiar with something like the Human Development Index. Yeah. Uh, or the Transparency Index for Global Corruption, uh, we're putting together a, a law with a large team in an organization called Walk Free, a, gl a global slavery index that we'll launch in September. And it'll be an annual affair, an annual uh, re uh, uh, edition will come out where we'll update the, the information every year. It'll, it'll estimate how many people are in slavery around the world, how many people in each country, but it'll also measure what are the risks of being enslaved in every country, which gives us an idea of what we can do in each country to reduce that risk. And it'll also look carefully at what are the responses that the governments of every country are taking 
against modern slavery so that we can also, you know, rank countries and say, hey, this country's, you know, maybe poor and it may have a lot of people in slavery, but it's actually doing a great job of, of changing its laws and being active against slavery. Or perhaps this is a rich country that should be able to do better, but they're not because they haven't been doing what they should be doing. So it'll be a way for we can, that we can compare the countries of the world in terms of how well they're doing in terms of getting rid of slavery. Now, will you be presenting this to the United Nations? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I, I may not be the person doing it personally. I assume it w is going to be presented to the United Nations. I think it may be launched at the Clinton Global Initiative, but I'm not even certain about that yet. And uh, I, I'm just I'm kind of the, the the what we call the boffin. You know, I'm the kind of technical person on this job. Uh, there's a lot of other people, though, working to to launch it and make sure it makes a big splash internationally. Yeah, because that will be wonderful for everyone to know about this. You know what I mean? So that different countries could agree to take action. Well, and to help them understand where they stand uh, in relation to other countries, and also to to bring it into a into a global comparison, so that so that countries can also learn from each other. Right. Well, you know, many of my listeners know who you are, but of course, many. Or we'll be hearing you for the first time today. If you don't mind sharing with everyone how you first, what caused you to get involved with this, because I found that story to be very inspirational. You know, I always say it starts with a thought. So would you mind sharing with every, oh, everyone how you got started? Well, you know, I, I was, it was actually over here in England when I got started because I was at a public event, uh, in, in London. And there was a, a leaflet on a table that that I picked up. And this leaflet, this is back in the in the mid early 1990s. And this leaflet said, "There are millions of slaves in the world today." And I looked at that leaflet, and and you know I'll confess something to you, Joyce. I I uh, I had a little bit of pride, and I had a little bit of hubris there. And of course, that always gets you into trouble because I looked at that leaflet and I thought, well. You know, I'm a I'm a college professor. I I study human rights. How could this be true if I don't already know it? Mm. So that was that was my pridefulness, right? And and I and I began to worry and think about it though. And and I looked inside the leaflet, and there wasn't anything in there about millions. It was just anecdotes about a woman from Poland who was caught up in forced prostitution and a family in. Uh, India, who were caught in debt bondage and so forth, and I thought, well, no, there's a there's a real difference between millions and these anecdotes, as as touching as these anecdotes are, and it was that difference there, and and my work as a social researcher <clears throat> that that began to push me into this, and I and my curiosity just, I thought, you know, if this is true, and we don't know it, that there are millions of people in slavery in the world. You know, th this is a this is a this is a travesty, and we need to figure this out. And I thought, and if it's not true, then we need to, you know, debunk this. this we don't need people telling us things that aren't true. Well, all that led to a, to a long piece of research, but that research took me to the field. And when I got into the field, particularly in Thailand, on one of my first research trips, and I began to meet children and adults, but children especially who were caught in deep ugly, violent slavery, I got to tell you, it just tore me up. And it changed me inside. When you see slavery face to face, you realize we, you know, it makes it hard to live in a world with that kind of injustice, with that kind of violence. And that's when I began to realize I didn't necessarily need to go back to the classroom. It was probably time for me to work on this for a while. Yeah, well, thank goodness that you did. Thank goodness you did. And we have a question for you, uh, Kevin, from a Sandy in New York City, and here it is. Uh, first of all, Kevin, I think it is absolutely wonderful what you are doing. <clears throat> you are to be commended. My question <laughs> is you, that this slavery or human trafficking issue reminds me of prisons, and what I mean by that is people walk by a prison 
but they have no idea what's going on and they forget about it. What can you do to bring this to light more because I do not believe very many people know about it? Well, Sandy, that's a great question because, in fact, that's, that's very true of countries, especially like the United States, where we tend not to see people who, well, we, there's a lot of people we tend not to see. I think we all understand that people tend not to see people with disabilities in the United States. They kind of look past them in the same way that we often look at people who are immigrants to the country, sort of look past them. We look past the people who are, say, serving us in a restaurant or, or helping us in a hotel. You know, it's as if they're there, but they're not really there. People in slavery often end up in those kinds of situations of service and labor and are pushed over to the sides where people don't recognize it. It's, a, it's been remarkable to me that when there have been the, the exposure, right up in New York, where you are, Sandy, of, of people from other countries who have been enslaved as domestic servants and very violently abused and enslaved, in New York or Long Island, and when those cases are exposed, their neighbors will say, wow, you know, I, I, I always saw that, that young woman, but I didn't really think much about the fact that she was working at three in the morning and that she never seemed to have shoes. And, you know, I, and later they're, they're sort of slapped in the face with it and they wake up. But it's not hard to find warning signs of human trafficking on, on the web. And it's not hard to just glance through those and suddenly realize, hey, I could I could be seeing people like that around me today. Right. That's right. Uh, we don't see it, but it's there. There's no question about that. Well, <clears throat> the other thing is, uh, Kevin, just as you said when you first saw that brochure, and you thought, what? How can this be possible? There are different types of human trafficking, trafficking in the world today. Could you explain that to our listeners that maybe are hearing this again for the first time, thinking, what? You've got to be kidding. So could, could you share that? Sure. Uh, I mean, first, let's, let's talk a little bit about just how many people are in slavery. There's, to the best of our understanding, and, I, and, and, and we've been working on this for a number of years, about 27 million, we believe, is a, is a pretty conservative estimate. About 27 million people around the world are in slavery today. And when we say slavery, we, we mean real slavery as well. You know, not, this isn't about a bad job or a bad marriage. It's about absolutely losing control over your life. You know, your freedom is taken away from you. Violence is, is used to take control of you and to force you to work or to do other things that are usually dirty and dangerous and demeaning and are truly and obviously slavery. Now, most of those people in slavery are not in the United States. They're not in Western Europe. They're actually in places like India and Pakistan and Nepal, where we know there are millions of people in not human trafficking, but what's called hereditary forms of, of debt bondage a traditional kind of slavery where people are actually born into slavery, just like in the Deep South before the Civil War. We know that that exists in countries like Mauritania. Trafficking, what we tend to hear most about in the United States, human trafficking, is really just a method or a conduit, a process by which, a mechanism, you might say, by which a person is taken into slavery, where someone is lured with the promise of a job, and they're, or, or, or possibly an education, and they're told, you know, if you, if you come with me to this other country, I, we can make, make it so you can have all the opportunities that you've always dreamed of, and then they end up far away from their family and their support system, and they end up in the United States, say, and they discover it's not like that at all, and they're enslaved. That's actually not the majority of people in the world who in slavery are, are victims of human trafficking. Many more are caught up in those hereditary forms, or you know, in situations like child soldiers who are rounded up by rebel groups and forced to be soldiers or women who are caught up again in situations of enormous violence and chaos like the Democratic Republic of the Congo or Liberia a few years ago and are, are forced, taken away, kidnapped, sexually assaulted and, and, in, and put into forced marriages. There's a lot of variant forms. I, I guess it's 
you know, if I were to tell you about every kind of sleep in the world, we'd need another 10 or 12 hours on the radio because uh, the thing about criminals who enslave others is that they're inventive and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll come up with interesting variations as, as often as they can. So this means there's a, a labor trade, in other words, buying slaves to do work for you. There's, of course, the sex slavery. Um, and then, as you mentioned, actually being born into slavery like indentured servants. Well, n- not indentured servants. That's, that's an old term, indentured servants, and doesn't really have as much to do with slavery. What you were really talking about was, was hereditary slavery. Um, hereditary slavery. Yeah. Indentures were, were, were more like the, the closest thing we have in the modern day to indentured servants is when you join the military and you basically say, I'm going to give you pretty much complete control over my life for the next five years, but it's a contract. And that's, that's what an indenture was, a kind of contract. My ancestors came to America as indentured servants back before the revolution. Right. But they had a contract. They were not slaves. No, they were treated really horribly, I'm sure, and it was uh, kind of remarkable, I think, that they survived because most of those indentured servants died of disease uh, in, the early, in the early colonies. But, um, but it was a contract, and if it was done honestly and legally, after seven years, usually they'd be able to, to walk away in freedom. Well, we have another question for you from a Greg in Los Angeles, and the question is, uh, thank you, Kevin, for sharing this to the world so that it is not kept hidden beneath blankets, blankets of oppression. Uh, my question is, how do you do this without becoming embittered to the place where you cannot work? Oh, Greg, it's a good question, but I have to tell you, while I may be talking a lot about the terrible parts of slavery there are actually, I'm not going to say there are wonderful things about slavery, but I have to tell you there are wonderful things about how people fight against slavery and how people come to freedom, come to liberation, and the, almost the miracles that occur when people reach for freedom and people help them reach to freedom. I know, I, I appreciate your question very much, and certainly there are things that, that I and my coworkers work with and see that are, are very disturbing. But it's also true that every week, almost every day, we have another report of, from India or Nepal, from <clears> West <throat> Africa, you know, different parts, Haiti, different parts of the world, where our work to help people come out of slavery means that we are witnessing another liberation, another family casting off the bonds of, of slavery, of hereditary slavery, and starting a new life. And you see children in in some of our rehabilitation centers, and they're just blossoming like flowers. And you realize, you know, slavery can come to an end. We know that because every day it does come to an end for a lot of people. And when it does, you see them blossom into their own personhood and their own freedom and their own autonomy and integrity. And you realize this can happen with all the slaves. And we believe that very strongly. I believe that very strongly, that we can actually eradicate this slavery. It's not a very big problem in, in compared to some of the problems on the planet. I know 27 million sounds like an awful lot of people, but it's actually the smallest fraction of the global population to ever be in slavery in all the history of the earth. It's a tiny, tiny fraction of the 7 billion people on, on the planet. And they and they and there's no there's no except for criminal businesses there's no big economy holding slavery up. Uh, we could actually bring this to an end. We can talk about that more if you want to. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Well, the that the key thing is that you know it's a small, in terms of raw numbers, it's small. It's ter- in terms of the economy, it's small. We think there's about forty billion dollars a year generated by slave labor. Now, obviously, I don't have 40 billion, Joyce, I don't think you do, but, you know, in global terms, you know, that's about what, you know, gets knocked around as change, as pocket change in the U.S. Senate or the U.S. Congress. What's more is that we actually know how much it costs to get people out of slavery. We've been doing it for getting on 15 years now in lots of different countries. 
And the average cost of bringing someone out of slavery, and remember, most of the people in slavery in the world are not in the rich countries. They're in the poorer countries where it does cost less to help them toward liberation. That cost is around $400, $500 per person to take them through a whole three-year process of liberation and reintegration and education and autonomy and job training and everything. Now, you multiply that up by 27 million people, and you get about $11 billion. Now, again, I don't have $11 billion, but I also know $11 billion is what Americans spent on blue jeans last year. You know, $11 billion is about what we spend going to the movies every year. It, it's not a lot of money. It's, it's what Seattle's about to spend on its, on its little tram system that it's going to build around the town. It, it's, in global terms, it's not a lot of money. And it's not a, mona, a lot of money that we have to find at one time. It would take us about 20 to 25 years to take everyone who's in slavery into freedom. So we know how much it costs, and it's cheap. We know how to do it. We know where the slaves are. All it really needs now is for the governments to enforce the laws that they've already passed. It's against the law in every country. And put just a little bit of resources behind it to make sure that they keep the promise that they've made to their own citizens when they said, we're not going to have slavery in our country, we're going to pass a law against it. Do you think, though, I mean, and I, I think that's true, that it can happen. I guess it's greed, uh, avarice, power, criminals that are driving this the most, correct? Oh, it's, it's, it's criminal in every country. Obviously, in some places, there's a kind of deep cultural attachment to it, but that's not, the, in a sense, the biggest part of it. But you're right. Yeah, criminals are, are driving it, and we're got, we've got to make it hard for those criminals. In fact, we've got to make it impossible for them to, to keep going and to make, them, make it where it's not profitable for them, where the risks are simply too high for them to continue with that crime. Which fits this question from Sarah in Chicago. Uh, Kevin, great what you're doing. My question is this. Are there other groups working together with you to help stop slavery? Oh, yes, Sarah, lots of groups. I mean, it, just, in, just there in Washington, D.C., where Joyce is, you know, there's something called the Attest Coalition, which is the Alliance to End Slavery and Trafficking. It's made up of about 12, 15 groups. Um, it works together to work with government. It, it coordinates their efforts. Uh, Free the Slaves, uh, the organization that I helped found, we have partner organizations in lots of other countries. And in fact, we don't. We tend not to ever parachute in as you know Americans. Americans dropping in to tell people in other countries what to do. We tend to only work with local groups who are actively engaged and have been for a long time in the same kind of liberation work for people in slavery. The key difference is just that we also try to coordinate those efforts across countries and help especially to move resources, money, from places like the United States where there's a little bit more of it to places where there aren't, like Haiti. And, uh, and that tends to make it a little more efficient. But yes, every day I'd say the, the, the global anti-slavery movement is achieving greater coherence and greater cooperation. And, you know, I'm thinking that often the clothes we wear, the shoes we wear, the coffee that we drink, in many cases, are products of people working in slavery in these other countries. Um, is that brought to light or, you know, are companies, corporations brought to light that are part of this? Oh, absolutely, that's the case. Uh, that There are some interesting and tricky parts about what you're asking about, though, Joyce. And that's because you're right. There is slavery in a lot of the things we use, a lot of the things we eat and wear. You know, I'm, I'm particularly thinking about the slave-produced minerals that went into the laptop and the telephone that I use, and as well as the food that I eat. The, the thing that makes it an interesting challenge for us is that the amount of slave-produced goods, as I mentioned earlier, is actually a very tiny fraction 
of the goods in the, in the global economy. So when, for example, there is slave-produced cotton that could end up in your clothing, in the global cotton commodity market, it actually only amounts to a tiny fraction, like less than 1%. So that when a corporation buys into some cotton, they, they, it's hard for them to know if someone else has concealed the origins of that cotton four or five steps down that product chain. Now, I'm not saying that that's an excuse for that corporation, but I'm just saying it's, it's insidious, it's pervasive, but it's insidious. And it's, and it's sort of sneaking into the things that, that, that we wear and buy. The answer so much is, not, is, is to engage with the corporations, but to help those corporations really focus on the origin of commodities and minerals and so forth, where the slavery actually occurs. Most corporations don't want to buy slavery. They want to buy cheap, but usually slavery is too far even for them. And if you give them a chance to act with you against slavery, I've found most companies will come with you. So the chocolate industry, for example, has been pumping several million dollars a year for the last 12 years into reducing the amount of child labor and slave labor in cocoa production in West Africa. They're the only industry that's in a unified way decided to work together to put that kind of money against against that problem. If we could achieve that with coffee and cotton and minerals and so forth, we'd be a lot further down the line. But it's it can be done. And it's very important, of course, for us to think about what we're buying. But it's also important to, to not try to set up a them and us unless it's all of us against the people who are holding people in slavery. Right. Right, that, and it is complicated, that is for sure. Well, I read an article, and I wanted to ask you if this is true, uh, Kevin. I read that some co- countries actually make human trafficking activities part of their tourist business to attract people to the country. Is that true? Well, it's it's been true in the past, I know, in some South Asia, South, Southeast Asian countries where where sex tourism has been a big part of their of their tourism i th- i think that still goes on i also think there's a lot of pressure because the issue is getting so much more coverage that uh while it goes on it tends to be suppressed and hidden away which doesn't mean you know we got to we can in any way stop fighting against it but but that kind of blatant use of enslaved work as part of tourism i think in the same way that you know there's a you know no most kinds of tourism now try to be ecologically friendly as well as human rights friendly um yeah i don't think it's going to wash anymore it's also true though that there have been some countries uh like the previous government of burma myanmar that would engage in forced labor of its own citizens. In other words, it would be enslaving its own citizens and using them for military exercises and all kinds of things. That's again, that seems to have faded away now, now that 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 the, the democracy seems to be returning to that country. But almost any place where there's a where there's a rough military dictatorship, you've got to be on the lookout that the government doesn't begin to involve itself in in some kind of state sponsored slavery. Well, when I told people that this existed, as you mentioned, it does many countries, but many people found that hard to believe when I was talking about you, and I told them, well, yes, this also exists in the United States, because I know from you and from talking to you and reading your literature that it does. Um, Would you share your perspective regarding that? Well, yeah, sure, happily. Um, you know, the the kind of slavery that excuse, we see... In excuse United- me one minute, excuse oh, me. And maybe sure. the reason <clears throat> that we find it hard to believe is because of what you talked about earlier. You know, pride, we would never have that in yeah. America. Yeah. <laughs> well, though, it's interesting because America, most Americans are fairly sensitive to the fact that we had a lot of it once. Uh, they just kind of got the idea that when we made it illegal, uh, that's when it disappeared. 
I, I can't think of anything else that we made illegal and it completely disappeared. Can you? Nope. <laughs> no, I know. So it's sort of it would be it would actually be a bigger surprise if we made something like slavery illegal and it completely disappeared. Even though that's that I have to say is my goal in life. Um, in the United States, of course, the the slavery you have is is mainly based on traffic. A lot of it is based, not mainly, I should say, but a lot of it is based on trafficking of people from other countries into the United States. And there's a couple of things to say about that. One is that it's important to remember that most of the people who come here and end up in slaves come here for reasons that that would bring us here if we were in their shoes. Most of them are just looking for a better, safer life with more opportunities, a chance to feed and support their families, a chance of an education and so forth. You know, they're in in some ways they're only pursuing an American dream, and 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 unscrupulous criminals take advantage of that fundamentally good impetus and motivation to do what's right and take care of your family and get an education and so forth. So, <clears throat> when you're the richest country in the world, there are plenty of poor people and people who, and when you're the country that people see as a place of opportunity, people who lack opportunity are very interested in coming, and that opens the opportunity to the unscrupulous to prey on the uneducated and the unwary and bring them here, bring them to the United States, and, and, then, and then trick them in, in and take them into slavery. Once they're in the United States, you know, they can end up in all kinds of situations, sometimes, of course, in commercial sexual, sexual exploitation, as we talked about, lot of people caught up in domestics as domestic workers, domestic servants in homes. That's probably the second largest type of enslavement. Agricultural workers, especially down in Florida, Texas, California, places like that, um, maybe the third largest. But also lots of different kinds of service workers in the backs of restaurants, in the backs of care homes and hotels. But, you know, when Ron Sudalter and I wrote a book about slavery in the United States, it's called The Slave Next Door, and looked at it very carefully for a number of years, we were amazed at how many different ways that people would be enslaved in the United States, from being acrobats to working in hair braiding shops to singing in a boys' choir that was supposedly raising money for charity. It, you know, as I said before, criminals can be clever because they're always on the dodge, and uh, any place they could find a, a niche, they would try to insert slavery there to make a profit. Oh, and you know what? It's so hard for me to envision any human being doing this to another, but as you mentioned, it was done right here before. But it is hard for me personally, you know, to even think about this or understand it. But why I have you on the show, and I want to tell all of you, listening to the show with disabilities. <clears throat> now, I have met people that have told me about people, for example, who are deaf, who were brought to this country in uh, slavery uh, to work at people's homes or in the fields or wherever, and because that person is deaf, they obviously are prey for someone because they're not going to be able to tell this to the people, you know, wherever they are. Um, and I would have to say that there are various types of disability that would make make people a target for this. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you've run into this, uh, Kevin, but we have run into it. Oh, absolutely I have. In fact, one of the most famous, if you will, certainly in a small world of anti-slavery work, but one of the most famous federal court cases of having to do with human trafficking and slavery in the United States back at uh, in about 2001 or two, was, is known as the deaf Mexican case, the deaf Mexicans case. And and it, what it happened was a, a ring, a criminal ring, uh, some of whom uh, of the perpetrators were deaf themselves, but were bringing deaf people from Mexico, promising them an opportunity to earn good money in in America and then bringing them to Chicago and uh, New York City and in and enslaving them and but enslaving them to do charity collections on the street so you know these people who would be forced to sleep 
15 to a room. They were beaten up if they didn't come home with a, at least $100 a day. The women were being sexually assaulted. They were under terrible threat at all times. But during the day, they'd be put out on the streets of Manhattan with pencils and, and a little note that said, you know, I am deaf. Help me buy my pencil, that kind of thing. Now, you know, I mentioned when we started talking about how it's easy for people to overlook those around them. And I think they were, you know, the idea that you could be completely isolated standing on a crowded, busy street corner in Manhattan says a lot about how we overlook people who, in this situation, are small and brown. That was one isolating factor. And then there was their disability. So that their deafness also built a barrier between them and the people around them, which not from there, not they weren't building it, but it was the way people were perceiving that disability. It took a long time, and there were hundreds, or about a hundred, I think, of these of deaf of these deaf Mexicans who were caught up in that scam. And it was only when a a Mexican priest who happened to have some sign language managed to chat with one of these young men on the street who led him back to the apartment, who led him to the others, and the police were able to move in and so forth. But I have to say, it also took a little while for those police to move in because they just couldn't believe such a thing could be possible. Wow. Yeah, right. It is hard to believe. It, that, But there's what I mean. So there's a good example of what I'm talking about, of how... Uh, it can easily impact people living with disabilities. Well, we've talked about all these things, but, you know, you do see progress, and I guess one example is what you just told me about in England. Oh, yeah. I, I, I absolutely, I, I've been really feeling the progress in the last year or so. And part of it is also about more and more people and more and more institutions are becoming aware of the issue and asking what they can do about it. You know, it was just a few weeks ago that Google uh, launched uh, a big anti-human trafficking program that they're that they're supporting with millions of dollars, uh, where they're trying to tie together all of the anti-trafficking hotlines around the world and to in, and to elevate the quality of the service of anti-trafficking hotlines in all countries and to extend them to all countries because we know that's a very effective way for people to find their to find their way out of, of slavery you know when we've got a, a giant like Google thinking big ideas like global hotlines uh, that that's progress that that really gives me hope that's good Kevin people listening to the show are wanting to know what can they do to help you you know what can they do first of all how or where should they contribute funds? <laughs> well, you know, if, if they'd like to look at our at our website, it's it's a very easy website. It's free the slaves, free the slaves dot net. Um, there's plenty of ways on there that they'll help you uh, to contribute. And of course, I'm very gra grateful when anyone wants to do that. Uh, and I want to assure all listeners, you know, it's a registered charity. We have a four star charity navigator uh, rating which is the highest rating uh, that it's the kind you get when you give, make sure all your money or virtually all the money that you receive goes straight to the work that's really needed and not to any kind of fancy offices or anything like that. So um, that would be fantastic. And, and I think more importantly though, the first step is really uh, learning. You know, you, you can't, you can't solve a problem you don't understand or you can't even help to solve a problem you don't understand. And the Free the Slaves website has a ton of great information uh, in a, I think, put together in a very attractive way about all kinds of slavery in the United States and other countries and so forth. And, uh, you know, I think if, 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 if anyone wanted to look there, they'd, they'd find not just the sad stories and not just the, 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 the scary stories, but a lot of stories of hope and liberation and renewal and liberty that, uh, that they'd find very inspiring. Well, how very timely because, you know, what just happened in the United States is they found those uh, people, those women that had been missing or kidnapped for over 10 years, and they were keeping them in a home. 
I heard about that. I hadn't. I haven't read all the details yet, but I did hear about that. That they had disappeared. They were. They, in fact, when I heard a, about it on the radio this morning, they were. They were talking about it in terms of human trafficking. That they had been. Mm-hmm. Human, mm-hmm. They had been caught up. And certainly, yeah. if they were held away against their will and completely controlled, we're talking about enslavement. Yeah. Right. And that is what happened. And uh, thank God, you know, they were found. But that is why it probably another way you can help is if you notice something to maybe tell someone. What do you think about that? I'm sorry, and you said a number? Uh, No, I said another way you could probably help is if you see something that seems highly suspicious to you to tell someone. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, in in some ways it's kind of crazy that we didn't, that they didn't, that it took them so long that people, uh, that was in Cleveland, right? Where, that there weren't more people that were, could have been there. In in Ohio, right. And there's a good, there's a very lot of good anti-slavery workers in Ohio. There's a number, I'm going to give you the number. There's a hotline for the United States and it's open 24 hours and it works on all languages and so forth. It's it's an easy number, 888-3737-888. 888-3737-888. Is that correct? That's right. Well, that's good because, you know, there's an example right there. I mean, that you you could see something and you can make that phone call. You can, you know, reach out to someone because you just don't know what's going on. And I'm sure uh, if they also go to your, to this Free the Slaves, they can get more insight but I did want to ask you, uh, Kevin, how is your writing going? Oh, thank you. Um, uh, it's going well. In fact, I'm just finishing a book uh, that's about the relationship between slavery and environmental destruction. Uh, one of the things I've discovered over the last few years is how much of the destruction of the natural world, and I mean the rainforest, the cloud forest, the gorilla habitats, you name it, is actually being accomplished with slave labor. That, you know, it's not about bulldozers. It's about criminals saying, oh, there's a national park over there where, you know, the rare gorillas live, but we don't care about that, uh, the fact that it's protected. We're going to go in there, we're going to chop down those trees, we're going to kill those animals, and we're going to use slave labor to do it. I, I began to see that around the world when I was doing different types of research on, on modern slavery. And then when I began to dig into it much more deeply, I discovered that it's a much bigger problem and a linkage that I hadn't seen before. But it's, again, interestingly, one that opens some real possibilities for making things better. Wow, that is amazing. Okay, so what is the name of this book? Well, the, the, it's, not, it's not published yet. It won't be probably uh, for a, eight months to a year. But the name of the book will be Blood and Earth. Wow. Well, I guess if we follow you on Free the Slaves, will we know when it's coming out? Oh yes, and if if I if I have anything to do with it, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to hear me on NPR and see reviews and stuff like that. Cause oh well, we'll be one of the people advertising it. You yeah. you can count on that. I mean, I just think it is so important what you're doing, and you know, I always say how one person can make a difference, and look what you've done. And look what you're doing. I can't think of anything like a person being in slavery and then being freed. I mean, I, I just can't imagine like those women. I cannot imagine how you would feel. Um, and, you know, it's at all ages, in all areas. It's not just in one place. Uh, but, but one person did make a difference, and that's you. So you can be sure that we will be advertising that book um, you know, it all started with me by reading Disposable People. I, I, I don't know of any book I read that had an impact on me the way that book did. Um, so much so that that's why, you know, I had to reach you. So uh, you have very powerful words in your writing, and I know that I want everyone to read this. I'll be one of the first ones. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you. <laughs> so, so, Kevin, um, wow. 
I mean, I don't know how much more you can do. You've already done so much. But as you reflect back over, we'll say, the past couple of years, what would you consider your greatest accomplishments? Ooh, that's a that's uh, I don't <laughs> you know, Joyce, it's hard for me to answer that question. You know, the first thing that pops in my mind is that I've been trying to be a good dad for my son. You know, that's what <laughs> that's a big goal of mine to be a good dad. But um, in terms of this work, you know, the 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 fact that we've reached this point where groups like Google are participating, the fact that we've reached a point where uh, there'll be a global index and so forth. It's that kind of reaching that point that, that's, that's making me feel very, very satisfied in, in, in some ways. It's, there's still a very long way to go, a very long way. The other thing is that I've been involved now in, in I'm, I'm setting, I'm, go, I'm going back to some of my university teaching and I'm helping to set up a degree that will train people in how to establish programs to get people out of slavery. Because if we're going to really move people out of slavery. We're going to have to train up people who are going to be liberators. And I feel very excited about that, too, because I, you know, I, I want to I want to begin educating people who, who are able to say, you know, well, what's your job? My job? I'm a liberator. I'm, I get people out of slavery. And, and it becomes a common thing that until until it becomes one of those jobs that we don't need to do anymore. And Kevin, across the United States, how many places are people working doing this? Oh gosh, I, I, it'd be hard for me to know. I think it's certainly more than a hundred places around the United States. When you add up groups like Polaris Project and International Justice Mission, or out in California, out in Los Angeles, there's a group called CAST, the Coalition Against Slavery and Trafficking, and a group that does amazing work there in Los Angeles. Then you have local groups like some of the ones in Ohio that I'm thinking of that provide shelters and support shelters for those who have been rescued from human trafficking. Um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of people involved working very hard and sacrificing of themselves. Uh, in some ways, you know, you're, you're so kind to me, Joyce, but I, I, I look to them and I think, you know, Frederick Douglass is in the house. Harriet Tubman is around. Uh, I talk about it more, but there are some people who are doing more, I think, and and actually, you know, out there, uh, especially and in other parts of the world as well, people who are risking their lives every day to get people out of slavery. You know, that's the people I really admire, really look up to, this, the Harriet Tubmans of today and the Frederick Douglasses of today. And the William Wilberforces. Well, yeah, though, you know, he was a politician. And, and, he, uh, and, and he did something. And he did something. And, and of course, we're always looking for some politicians who are willing to do something. Yeah, I was wondering, do they talk about that very much? Uh, for example, do you often hear about Congress in the United States talking about this? Well, there are some people in Congress for whom this is an important issue. And I'm afraid there are some people in Congress who just can't find this as a priority. And I think that's, you know, also where... Uh, we need to make a little progress. We, you know, we need to we need to begin to say uh, we need to, we actually need to start ranking our people in Congress in terms of how well they are voting for freedom. No, you know, as opposed to partisan politics. Yes, as you said, sort of like that index you're talking about. Exactly. An index for politicians. That would that would be that would really <laughs> have interesting outcomes, wouldn't it? Well, I think well, that, it would. But you will, you will be comparing companies, uh, countries, right? We will, and 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 I think there's also a group that's been talking and and is very seriously moving toward having a uh, a kind of uh, list of of exactly how each person in Congress is doing in terms of their anti-slavery voting. The wonderful thing about uh, about this as an issue is that it's a nonpartisan issue. You know, it, it's not about left or right or Republican or Democrat. Uh, but it is about whether or not you're paying attention, and and no no politician in America can could ever you know oppose freedom or be in favor of slavery. So once you get them on the stage, they have to come with you. It's just at the moment because it's not a, hasn't been as as well known as some of the other issues. Uh, it's you know it's something that, that that they're not paying a lot of attention to. It's not what's going to get they think is going to get them elected next time around. 
I'm looking forward to the day a little bit like maybe the election of 1860, when uh, your position on slavery is going to be the one that either keeps you in office or gets you out of office. Yeah. Wow, that would be something. Well, what is the message you want to leave with our listeners today? Well, you know, I'll follow on from that about the politicians. There's no reason, there is no reason why the United States couldn't be a slave-free country. You know, we've got the resources, we've got honest police, we understand what the situation looks like. If we simply just put a little bit more of our own law enforcement resources into those areas where we would be able to find and help people out of slavery, we could do it. We could actually be what we've always claimed to be, which is the land of freedom and the, and the land of real opportunity. But, you know, we spend more in the United States right now on our military bands. Not that I'm against music, but we spend more on our military bands than we spend on human trafficking and slavery in the United States. And I think that's some kind of upside-down priority. Wow, I'll say. Well, Kevin, first of all, I want to thank you for being with us today. And I just want to say keep doing the great, great work that you are doing. Uh, hey, you keep doing the great work you're doing. I'm so impressed with, with all that you accomplish. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, once again, Kevin Bell's Free the Slaves. He has several books out right now. And we'll have a new one coming out later this year, and I will make sure that I tell everyone when that does come out. And Thank also, you, we'll have a great interest in having you back on to talk about that book, Kevin. Okay, I'd be very happy to. Well, the quote I'm going to leave you with today is sort of what we were talking about earlier. And although this is anonymous, it certainly fits the situation. And that is, you are one and only one, but one person can make a difference, just the way Kevin Bells has done. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader in Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.